Welcome to our show, Holding Ground. My name is Laura Richer. I'm a psychotherapist and the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. Each week, I'm joined by another therapist from the Anchor Light team to tackle important topics in mental health and psychotherapy. Our goal is to promote well-being by normalizing mental health challenges. We are here holding ground for you every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on KKNW. Good morning. Welcome to Holding Ground. My name is Laura Richer. I'm the founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And today I am joined by Anchor Light Marriage and Family Therapist, Kat Carson. Good morning, Kat. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, everyone. We are here live on 1150 AM Talk Radio every Monday morning at 9 AM, but you can also uh, listen to us all places where you find your favorite podcast. Um, So good morning. This has been a really stressful few weeks in the news on top of a very stressful year. And obviously, we've been living through the global pandemic, um, all the economic loss, online school, increased rates of anxiety and depression, social unrest. And now we're watching um, mass shootings play out in the media. Um, A lot of stress among Asian communities and um, society at large, really. And this is happening all as kids are getting ready to possibly head back to school in the Seattle area. And and there's just a lot of anxiety in the air. And um, today we're gonna talk about how to deal with that anxiety related to tragic events in the news and how to talk to your kids and teens about tragedy. Yes, and I especially right now with everything going on, Kat, I think that is such um, an important topic. I was looking uh, into this this week, and according to insider.com, there have been 103 mass shootings in the U.S. just in 2021 alone. Um, even, you know, even when we're not directly impacted, but we see these things play out in the media and we know that they're happening, it can have a significant impact on all of our mental health, but especially kids and teens. Um, you know, kids and teens, like you mentioned, are getting ready to go back to school. Um, and they're over the years, over this year, have been increased rates of anxiety and depression. Um, we're also noticing increased rates in more severe behaviors like uh, self-harm and suicidality. So we wanted to talk a little bit today about how parents and teachers and and all of the other adults in a child's community can be a big support in helping kids and teens by talking to them about these difficult and scary topics in age-appropriate ways or when to know maybe when it's time to look into additional mental health resources for your for your kids. Um, so you know, right now we live in a very media driven society and there's so much access to information coming to us in all directions. Um, we can see traumatic images on TV, on the news, and this can trigger a fair main amount of anxiety for kids. And, and especially when there is uh, traumatic losses like we've experienced over the last couple weeks. So um, absolutely, and children can sense the anxiety and the tension in the adults around them. And one thing that I am trying to talk to my um, families about is um, in some ways, depending on how old your kids are, one of the best strategies is to shield them from some of this. Um, You know, I personally grew up listening to the news with my mom Um, or listening to NPR in the car. But um, I feel like the news was a little bit different back then. Um, It was just a little bit less sensational. And um, I think the rise of 
some cable news and the style of communication that's used. It's, um, it's very anxiety provoking. I don't know if you find that personally, but. Well, and there's just so much more access to it. You know, I remember as a child, not really watching the news myself, but that my parents would turn on the five o'clock news in the evening and it would just be, you know, channels four, five, and seven here in the Seattle area. It was um, not the ongoing um, information 24 hour, 24 hour right. over and over being replayed. So I think that piece of it, and, and also maybe the style of reporting was less sensational at that point in time. And me and Kat are both Gen Xers and we're kids in the eighties. And so, you know, we didn't even have cable. So we weren't really no. watching all that much news, no, no cell phones, no, <laughs> you know, I don't know how we knew anything, honestly. Um, but it was less stressful in a lot of ways. And kids have a very different experience now. Right. And so I think I know that for many of us um, with so much going on and all of our anxiety cumulatively ramped up, it's common for people to have the cable news on in the background mm -hmm. and um, to have sort of this narrative going on in the background about just, you know, things framed as disaster after disaster. Mm -hmm. um, and that for kids, especially younger children, um, they're just hearing about things that they don't understand and they don't have any control over. And um, uh, it can be very terrifying because they don't have any perspective. Yeah. Um, so like really limiting their media diet is one of the first things that I... And you might even think on. that, you know, especially if you have really young children, three, four, five, six years old, you know, that you have the news on in the background that they're not really paying attention, but they can still be taking in this information and these images and then processing them through their young child minds that don't, like you said, don't have perspective to really understand what's happening. And that can be really terrifying. Right. So, um, you know, definitely being aware of what they're consuming and, you know, in terms of, I know kids are, they're on their computers right now for school and they have access to YouTube. I know for through Seattle Public Schools and um, for school and um, just being cognizant of that. Um, the thing is that different families have different rules. So your kids hit a certain age and um, they might hear about news events from their friends. Mm -hmm. And so these conversations are going to come up anyway. And um, whatever your child's age um, or relationship to the, to the damage that's caused by a tragedy, it's important to be able to be ready to have that conversation when it comes up and to be able to talk about the consequences for your family or in your community and um, encourage your child to talk about it because some kids will really internalize these things and just start to feel like the world is not a safe place. Um, and that can be really traumatic for them. Yeah. And I think that you bring up such an important point too. I, I think sometimes parents want to shield and protect their kids and, and when they can, that's great, but sometimes it's not always possible. Their friends could be talking, they could pick up things randomly. Um, so one thing that's really important, I know, and you have a lot of insight into this cat, is being age appropriate with your kids. You know, you're not going to talk to your kindergartner in the same way that you're going to talk to your teen. So when you're talking about traumatic events uh, with children and teenagers, what are some age appropriate tips for parents? Um, so I think as humans, we, we all need to have a certain level of um, agency over whatever's happening with us. 
Um, so you want to tell your kids something appropriate to the level of something that they have agency over, um, uh, if that makes sense. So, um, so what would that be in like a preschool age kid, for example? So, you know, something, you know, something I, I wouldn't really, if you can avoid it, discuss mass shootings with the preschooler. Sure. They're not going to be able to process that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they don't, they really don't understand the idea of death yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think just saying that sometimes there are people who do bad things in the world, but the, your grownups are here to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is that even at preschools now they do lockdown drills. And so the idea that, a, you know, we need to be ready in case someone dangerous comes in and this is what we do and this is where we hide. This is something that even our preschoolers are learning to understand at that young age. And so it sounds like with preschool kids, you want to just be reassuring and try to comfort them. Absolutely. Okay. They're not going to understand what's happening. So it's more of like a soothing them and comforting them. Soothing them them and comforting them and letting them know that um, this is what you do to keep yourself safe. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is the agency that you can that you can employ and, and and this is where to hide and these are the people that keep you safe. Yeah. And so what about when we go to like grade school age children? Because I know in grade school we're starting to talk a little bit about current events and things that are happening in the world. Um, and at that point, you know, depending on the age of your child, especially when they're getting older into like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they're probably going to have some questions about what's going on and they might even have enough understanding to feel feel distressed by an event. I personally remember, I don't know if you remember this, when the Challenger exploded. And I think yes. I was in fourth or fifth grade at the time, but they had brought the, they brought the TVs in. We were, you know, this was a big event. We were all watching the news. And then this happened. And at my school, what they did is they just rushed the TVs out. They didn't say anything. And then they said, open your books and let's go back to class, which was probably a typical response for that time period. But I remember feeling very distressed by that and not really understanding what had happened, but knowing that there was a, a teacher on the space shuttle and that her, uh, and making the connection that she had died and that she had children. But, and that was very upsetting to me, but nobody was talking about it, so. Yeah, I mean, this is this kind of goes to our, you know, the evolution of media again. Yeah. Because, you know, this was, we were watching something horrible happen in real time. Yeah. And none of us really knew how to cope with it. Do you remember, did they talk yeah. to you about it at school? I can't remember specifically what they said, but I do remember that we were watching it. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, how how awful. Yeah. And I think part for my experience, was that they did, weren't talking about it, that all of a sudden something bad has happened and we're just going to pretend it didn't happen and move forward. And that, you know, as a child, you're just left to make your own conclusions about what is going on, which are usually, I think, much scarier than if somebody can, obviously something tragic happened either way, but that, you know, something that would have helped us process it at least would have probably been helpful. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, uh, kids tend to, um, kids tend to, their worldview is sort of self-centered. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in a disparaging way, but kids tend to blame themselves for things mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with them. Yeah. Um, and uh, kind of, you know, develop belief systems that revolve around themselves. So if we don't talk about things, mm-hmm. they can really internalize some 
strange things. Yeah. Like if I had been good that this wouldn't have happened right. type of a mindset. Right. Yeah. They, have, they still have some of that magical thinking going on, especially yeah. in younger children. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very important to to have a dialogue about it. So how would you approach that dialogue with some kids that are more grade school age? So, you know, it really depends kid by kid, but, um, you know, these issues are so nuanced because um, when you're talking about a mass shooting, you have overlapping issues of um, political issues, mental illness, sometimes, um, you know, larger, structural issues in society mm -hmm. and um, racial issues and it's so complex mm -hmm. and a lot of times we don't even really know what the shooter's motive was mm -hmm. or there are a lot of guesses or sometimes people might be guessing based on the race or the religion of the shooter mm -hmm. what their motive was and um, and there's so much talk and it's really um, not only do you want to, you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to engage in um, in a conversation with your child that instills prejudices in your child or makes it harder to understand. So um, I think keeping it as simple as you can, um, but answering whatever questions they bring to you in the in the best way that you can. So um, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of um, really difficult challenges right now. I think that um, in general, someone who commits a mass shooting is in a lot of pain mm -hmm. or struggling mm -hmm. with a lot of problems yes. in one way or another. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that side of things in the next half of the show, but just in some a little bit of research I did in preparing for this show and looking at the perpetrators of mass shootings over the past couple of years and what we're seeing, um, are a lot of people with challenges, mental health challenges, psychiatric illness challenges, as well as other challenges. So um, that's something we'll talk a little bit more about as well. I think also with school age kids, especially if they're a little bit older, it's really important not to um, give them false reassurance, to be realistic with them. I have had children come back and say, you know, my mom said this, I'm specifically thinking of a child whose parents got divorced. And she said, my mom said that this would never happen in our family. And so she really felt betrayed by her mother that her mother had assured her that their family would never have this happen. And then it did. Yeah. Um, and, and we don't ever really know what's going to happen. And so false reassurance isn't necessarily helpful. Um, but at the same time, emphasizing that, you know, tra tragedies like this are, are, even though it seems like it's happening constantly because of the news bombarding us all the time, they're relatively rare. It, it, you know, you're, you are most likely, well, depending on who you are, but to assure your child that you're doing everything that you can to, to keep them safe and that it's likely that they, they are safe in their environment, but not misleading them. Right. Yeah. Right. So again, um, yeah, not painting a picture that the world is perfect and they will not ever encounter something scary. Mm -hmm. Um, letting them know that if they do encounter something scary, that they'll have the tools to deal with it in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and then also giving them some of the uh, mindfulness tools and mental health tools to live in the moment and not focus on 
being terrified all the time. Yeah. What is a mindfulness tool that you would give a child that was feeling afraid because they either saw a tragedy in the news or maybe even experienced something traumatic themselves? Um, you know, something that I've been doing with some of my kids who are afraid right now is, um, or worried about a specific thing, is that we are making worry boxes mm. and, um, and that they will have a worry box at home and they, um, they'll have a certain time of day, like half an hour early in the day, that's their worry time. Mm -hmm. And that time is designated for worrying. And that will be like with someone that they care about. Okay, so we're sitting down for worry time mm -hmm. and then they get all their worries out. And then if at other times during the day that that recurring thought keeps coming up, then they write it down and they put it in the worry box and they save it for, for worry time. I love that because what I, what I love about that is that it gives them the space to really express themselves and their fears and not minimize what is happening and say like, oh, you don't need to worry about that. You don't have any reason to worry because that, that doesn't really help, does it? No. Yeah. And then I've also been doing some um, sort of hypnotherapy based um, guided visualization oh, with kids cool. where I help them find um, a safe space in their mind. And um, it's just, you know, the safest place that they can imagine. And it's a place that they can go to anytime they want. And then once they found it, I let them know that that's, that's a place they carry with them and they can go there anytime. It's within them, you know, and that's such a great um, tool to use for kids around bedtime because sometimes kids become more fearful at bedtime. And if they're starting to ruminate or think about fearful thoughts that you could have them imagine a really safe, happy place that they could go to before they go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some other tips for talking to grade school age kids about whether it's things that they see in the media or even, you know, difficult experiences that they've had personally, because kids are experiencing, especially right now with everything that's happening, their own personal traumatic events. Yeah. I mean, I think kids need, just like all of us, they need to express what's inside. Mm -hmm. And so giving them opportunities to express themselves through play, um, you know, a lot of times that's how kids will kind of, that's how things will come out. Yeah. You know, they won't sit down and have a conversation about something. They'll, um, they'll be playing with toys or dolls or they'll be drawing and the characters that will come out will be, um, they'll be kind of thematically related to what the kids are working through in their mind. And so um, I know that for a lot of adults, it's really hard to um, get into that make-believe zone for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, just um, doing like 15 minutes of imaginary play with your kids where you're like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend that I am, nine years old again, and I'm going to get on the floor and just really get into my imagination with the Barbies or the, you know, the dolls and um, pretend and let the child really lead um, where the play is going can be so therapeutic and kids love it so much. And it's just, I mean, literally 10, 15 minutes can be enough. And I know that you do that actually in therapy with kids. I do. Yeah. I do. And, um, you know, it's, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I really like getting in that zone. I've <laughs> you know, it's not for everyone, yeah. but, um, <laughs> and I, you know, I do some make-believe dramatic play stuff too that um, I really like where, you know, we're going to pretend to be wolves. 
<laughs> so what is, because that does sound fun, but what is the therapeutic value of doing that when you work with kids? Um, so the therapeutic value, a lot of times with children, if they're afraid of something, then they get to, let's say, um, let's say there's, you know, a, a person that they're afraid of oftentimes in the play, they will become the person mm -hmm. that they're afraid of and you will become the, um, the weaker person. So the, there oftentimes there'll be these themes of power and control that happen in the play because kids are so often um, in a disadvantaged position of power. Yeah. Um, they're just not in a position of power in so many places in their lives. And this isn't just for little kids. Um, this is for you know, all the way through teenagers. And I think this is something particularly that I'm seeing right now. Um, but uh, so when kids get to play in a safe way uh, with being in control and um, then they get to experience that. Yeah. And it's like their brain doesn't know the difference. And so then that leads them to feeling more empowered in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and as you mentioned in um, last week's pod or radio show, I think that kids right now, their options are so limited with online school that they really don't have, even in, within their friend groups or anywhere to really express themselves and it can feel really out of control. Right. Yeah. I mean, socially, it's so hard because parents don't want to give their kids a free for all with screen time because parents have been told for years that screen time is the devil basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're going to rot, your kids are going to like rot their brains and, um, you know, we'll be able to focus. They will we'll have attention issues. It'll be bad for them. Yeah. And right now access to screens is the, for many children is the only way that they can contact their friend groups mm -hmm. and have any autonomy. And that's what kids are wired for, especially adolescents and teens. So um, it's just, it's rough right now. Yeah. So, and so speaking of teens, when we talk to teens about traumatic events, how would you want to position that a different, a little differently with your teen versus like your grade school age kid? So teenagers are, they're much closer to adulthood and they have access to much more of the information that um, adults do. Mm -hmm. So but they might not be emotionally quite ready for it. And so I think going into a conversation with teenagers, understanding that they've probably accessed or been presented with the full news story and um, knowing your own kid, your own teen and, and kind of understanding what emotional pieces you're gonna need to support so that they can understand the full story and they might be less likely to want to talk to you about it. And especially with teens, you might think you're shielding them from certain things, but it's highly likely their friends are talking about these things. Yeah. So you want to be able, I would imagine as the parent, you're going to want to be able to have that conversation with them so that you can give them the correct information. Because often with teens, they don't always have all of the correct information. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a uh, infodemic going on right now with so much bad information flying around on yeah. social media. So yeah, making sure they have the right information, um, making sure that, um, that as a family, you can do something, um, again, to the agency piece, um, 
you know, if there's something that's important that you can do as a family to make the situation better, um, then that can be really helpful too. Mm -hmm. So um, can you do something to, su to support the Asian community in Seattle? Mm -hmm. um, can you um, do something to work against gun violence if that's something that's important mm -hmm. to you? Um, uh, helping teens get involved in a way that gives them, that empowers them mm -hmm. to make change can be very powerful for them and can help them kind of individuate and come into their own and feel powerful instead of feeling like the world is such an unsafe place and they have no ability to change it. That they can work towards solutions and, and, and find some empowerment through that. Yeah. 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 Um, well, so one of the resources that I came across uh, is the Disaster Distress Helpline. So if there has been a disaster, whether that's a, a what would you say, man-made disaster <laughs> right. or, or a natural disaster, um, that this is a resource that people can call and they can receive um, emotional support and resources. Uh, so it's a, one of the crisis helplines. And that number is... Uh, I thought they had a cool like word so you could remember it, but it looks like talk with us as the text, or you can call 1-800-985-5990. So me and Kat will be back in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the ways you can help your um, child cope when their mental health symptoms are severe and, and they might need a little bit more than parental support. So stay tuned. We'll be right support. So stay tuned. Alternative Talk 1150 is your sports organization's safe bet when it comes to airing your team's games. Our players are all seasoned professionals when it comes to sports programming. Imagine your games being heard on local radio. Your team deserves the MVP treatment. Call 425-653-1150 today to learn how affordable and fun it is to broadcast your games on the radio. Call 425-653-1150 and make your next season something special. That's 425-653-1150. I'm Nathan Mum, and I'm the host of Tech Time Radio. Saturdays from 4 to 5 p.m., you can listen to our show live. The hosts cover top tech stories with a funny spin. That's good. So, what, like, Hooked on phonics worked for you, didn't it? <laughs> it did, just a little bit. Grab your weekly technology without having to geek out. Yeah, I can imagine. Only on Tech Time Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We talk technology for the everyday common person. Thanks for tuning in to our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Folding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Burning fossil fuels at power plants and factories does not only produce carbon pollution. It also releases other toxic air pollutants that can harm the health of nearby residents. Those residents are disproportionately low-income people of color. Beverly Wright is founder of the Deep South Center for Environmental Justice. She says fighting climate change can go hand-in-hand -hand with protecting vulnerable communities, but it requires a strategic approach. We think that equity and justice should also be included in looking at carbon trading, carbon pricing. 
The idea behind carbon pricing is that putting a price on carbon pollution encourages companies to reduce it. But the reductions might not occur locally. For example, companies could pay other businesses or nonprofits to cut emissions elsewhere while continuing to pollute at home. That would benefit the climate, but not the health of the nearby community. So Wright says that to improve equity, climate policies must be designed to benefit both people and the planet. When it comes to carbon trading and pricing, the bottom line is if it does not include a reduction in co-pollutants, then it's not just and it's not dealing with the racial inequity that exists in this country. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Organic, free-range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Holding Ground. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about the impact of tragedy in the media on mental health and how you can talk to your kids about tragedy in the media. So just a reminder, if you want to work with a therapist individually or um, or looking for additional support for your child, you can always go to anchorlighttherapy.com. We offer a complimentary consultation where we can give you more information on how we might be able to support you. So Kat, what should a parent do when they realize that their child or teen is struggling and they don't really know how to help them? Maybe the problem is escalating or their symptoms are pretty severe and they feel like uh, they need additional resources that their child is maybe traumatized at a a higher level than they can handle? So um, that's a great question. And I think right now it's been a hard one to, to answer because so many people are having a hard time and are just not doing as well as they typically are. And the question becomes, uh, you know, well, we're all having a hard time. What's, you know, what merits some professional help? Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, what we wanna look for is signs that kids are really, really struggling, that they might be suicidal or even homicidal. Um, And one good place to start is um, even calling your, you know, calling your local crisis line. Mm -hmm. Um, They can help assess for mental health problems. Um, We just did a show last week on um, Teen Link, Mm -hmm. which can be a great resource if um, if kids are willing to call uh, because they're able to talk to their peers and there are mental health professionals kind of um, overseeing that line. So, and those kids and teens are trained to um, to kind of get supervision and help if something comes up that's a little bit more serious. And, now, and could a parent call that line or is there a resource for a parent as well? Th- so a parent would be better off calling the crisis line. Okay. And they can... Um, get advice on how to handle, um, you know, mental health issues. There's also a really wonderful program called uh, CORES, Children Crisis Outreach Response Service, that's offered for free in the in King County. Which, um, if your family is, if your ch- a child in your family is experiencing a mental health crisis. Um, they will send two clinicians to your house um, 
and you can access this through the crisis line. Oh, wow. Um, and they will they will send a clinician, you can do an, an intake, they'll assess you to see if you're appropriate for the program through the crisis line. Um, and um, it can be within the same day or within the next couple days. Um, they'll send two mental health clinicians to your house to help de-escalate the problem and then get your child kind of set up with services that they may need. Um, so that's incredibly helpful. Um, you know, it is also an option to call 911 if there's like a, you know, a real emergent situation going on. But um, uh, CORS is a great option if calling the police sounds kind of scary. Mm -hmm. um, what about for kids who are not necessarily at that level of crisis, but at the same time, parents are worried, they're worried that something just isn't, they just don't quite seem like they're okay, yeah. beyond maybe what's normal for online school pandemic world that we're living in. Right. So, um, you know, sometimes kids will um, have seem to have like a real personality change mm -hmm. and which, you know, I'm going to give the caveat that also puberty <laughs> is causes that as well. Yes. So there's a normal aspect to that too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and also just extreme isolation for a year. So uh, again, it's, it's all a little bit nuanced, but, um, if there's a really a pattern of explosive temper, um, and anger resulting in, you know, physical acting out, that's dangerous to your child or other members of your family, so like physical attacks that can harm siblings or parents, um, threats or attempts by the child to hurt themselves, um, self-harming, um, use of weapons to hurt, threaten or hurt others, cruelty towards animals, um, setting fires or other destructive behaviors. Um, you know, it, it can be really hard and scary to reach out for help around some of those behaviors because um, we want to protect our kids and we don't want them to, we won't, we don't want to do anything to get them in trouble. Yeah. Um, and the truth is that kids who are exhibiting those behaviors really need some help. Yes. And, you know, just even doing some research about some of the shootings that have happened in past years, especially in the case of school shoot shootings, um, what I noticed is that many of the shooters were were young men who had a history of mental health issues that that um, were at, at, for some of them their families did attempt to intervene um, and in some other cases they didn't attempt to intervene and and so that's a really tough issue to when you notice that your child maybe has some violent behaviors or or behaviors that just really feel out of the norm. Um, to know how to address that and to, to cope with, like, like you said, you don't want to get your child in trouble. There's also a lot of shame and judgment for parents who are dealing with difficult issues like this, but there are things that you want to look for um, to prevent any sort of tragic tragedy happening if you can. And did you see anything about um, bullying? Yes, that bullying can lead to some of these types of behaviors like, like some of the perpetrators had been bullied yes yeah. and I think it, I think that that was very common yeah um, a lot of the perpetrators had they speculated because not everyone had been treated had maybe had some sort of um, mental health challenge maybe autism spectrum disorder or something that made them different that led to bullying 
in their in their school career and that could be lead to to this so that's such a great point you know notice what your child is experiencing are they being bullied at school and they may not be really free and sharing that with you so they're as a parent having these ongoing dialogues about what's going on and what they're experiencing is so incredibly important yeah yeah um you know so there's like we said there's a lot of reasons why somebody would be would feel reluctant to seek help for their child um you know being fearful of what's going to happen to their child, feeling embarrassed or fearful that they'll be blamed for the behavior um, or that there will be some sort of like retribution. But as you mentioned, there are resources available. I think sometimes people feel frustrated, especially right now, the mental health system is extremely overloaded um, and it's very hard to find a therapist right now, but private practice therapy is not the only resource that is available to people. And of course, that you mentioned, if you're experiencing anything, you know, with extreme challenges to your child's mental health, that is a fantastic resource to take advantage of. You know, getting a consultation from a private practice therapist um, can also be a great, a great place to start. So Kat, if your child has been the victim of bullying or experienced any sort of trauma, trauma, of course, isn't limited to seeing tragedies like mass shootings. Kids can experience traumas because they have a fallout with a friend or or a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend um, and or parents getting divorced. I mean, there's so many things that are are just within the realm of normal everyday life that can be traumatic for kids. So what type of therapies do kids benefit from or teens or even families as a whole system when there has been a trauma? You know, as I kind of mentioned earlier, kids have a way of um, blaming themselves for things um, just because that's how their worldview works when they're young is that um, they tend to think if I had done something different, my, my parents wouldn't have gotten divorced or um, if I had done something different, that wouldn't have happened or, um, and, you know, gosh, I think a lot of us carry that with us into adulthood Mm -hmm. as well. Um, so especially if it goes unaddressed. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, one of the important things about treating trauma is just really, um, making a framework of meaning around it as early as possible. And I think that's in large part what we're talking about you know, with this media situation as well, Mm -hmm. is um, creating um, a framework around all these terrible things for kids so that it's like, yes, there is, there's some pretty terrible stuff happening and um, we're not really in control of it. But we do have people who love us who are doing their best to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. And we do have some things we can do if danger comes our way. And we do have things we can do as a family to try to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're gonna do. And so when you're working with a family as a whole, you know, in terms of like a traumatic event, for example, what would that look like? Would you be working with the entire family? Oftentimes, I mean, it depends really on what type of traumatic event it is. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, if a family went through a shared experience of trauma together, then um, I would, 
probably meet with each of them separately to find out um, how, how they're each handling it and processing it and what kind of dynamics it's creating in the family system. Yeah. Because, um, you know, sometimes maybe the parents, uh, you know, gosh, so many different things could happen. Yeah. And it can really, something traumatic can really shut down relationships between people or people can be trying to protect other people in the family system or, um, uh, you know, if, if it's something that happened to one specific person in the family, then um, other members of the family could really start trying to protect that person, but that can be actually very isolating for the person Yeah, if they feel like everyone's handling them with kid gloves. You know, when I think about, because you bring up bullying and that's such a problematic issue and it can have such a negative impact on, I mean, I, I work with adults primarily, but I work with people who are in their fifties who are still dealing with the impact that bullying had on them oh, in, yeah. in childhood. People have PTSD as yeah. adults from being severely bullied as yeah. kids. I, I think we don't, I, okay, something I always try to think about as an, an adult therapist who works with kids is how extremely difficult it is to be a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, we think, oh, well, it's only fourth grade. So how, you know, how hard could it be? How hard could it be? Yeah. But it's so much harder than being an adult, really, because um, you don't have autonomy to make choices. Mm -hmm. It's like if you know, as an adult, if you have a job where you go there and people are terrible, terrible to you and take your things and hit you and you would just quit that job. Yeah. Or report them to HR and have it dealt with. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you know, what happens if you, you know, as a kid, you have parents that aren't believing you or, you know, the adults aren't believing you and you just have to keep getting sent there yeah. over and over again. Um, you're, you're just, you can be incredibly powerless. And like you said, kids take a lot of times think that things are their fault. So they may feel that it is their fault that they're being bullied or that they somehow deserve it. Right. Yeah. Because they're developmentally, their sense of who they are is forming in those years. So, you know, they're literally, that's the mirror for them developing their self-image Yeah, is how they're being treated and how they see themselves in other people's eyes. You know, and another thing I've seen with parents, I don't know if you've come across this, is that the parent, the child sometimes almost wants to shield the parent from the bullying. Like they don't want them to feel bad for them or feel somehow they feel like they're harming the, the parent by letting them know that they're experiencing this traumatic event at school. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, kids are amazing and they are oftentimes want to take care of their parents. Yeah. You know, that kids, which is really in a way it's a form of, um, of self-preservation because kids know that if their parents aren't doing well, ultimately they're not gonna be doing well. So if kids feel like their parents are very overwhelmed, yeah. then they'll be very selective about what they share because they don't wanna to be too much. Yeah, yeah. And the truth is right now, people's, people in general, parents especially are overwhelmed. They are maxed out. They're trying to adjust to life, working from home, doing online school, all of it. And so your kid may be even more hesitant to try to bring anything new to you, which is why it's even more important to be the one facilitating some of these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, something that all of these shootings being in the news has made me think about is I know in the Seattle area, we're getting ready to send elementary kids back to school. And, um, 
kids are really nervous about going back to school because they haven't been there in a year. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's been a really long year for adults, but for kids, it's been, you know, one eighth of their life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And think about how slow time passes when you're a kid. I mean, you know, as an adult, a year goes by in a second. When you're a kid, it's a whole grade. It's a huge segment of your life. I know. Yeah. So they've gone like almost, you know, a grade and a half almost mm -hmm. really. I mean, that's what it, you know. Yeah. So, um, and we talk, we've been talking so much with good reason about fears around uh, going back to school and safety in terms of, of not getting coronavirus and protecting any, everyone in that. But I don't know if there's been a lot of conversation about what is, and, and a lot of people are dying to get back to school and that's great, but what are the fears that some kids have about going back to school that, that are related to things other than coronavirus, like do they still have the same friends when they get back? Are they behind in school now? Are they going to be dealing with, um, you know, the old bully that they had to deal with? Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of kids have a lot of social anxiety right now. Mm -hmm. um, I know that in, depending on what school and what teacher you have in Seattle schools, um, turning your camera on during class is optional. Yes. And so a lot of children are not turning their cameras on because they, you know, are feeling self-conscious for one reason or another. Maybe they don't want their classmates to see their bedroom or their house, mm -hmm. or maybe they, you know, just were nervous about it. And so um, many of them haven't been seen by their classmates and teachers. Yeah. Um, and they feel sort of anonymous. Um, and, uh, you know, it's sort of like a first day of school all over again. And they are wondering, you know, do I know enough to participate or, you know, am I going to have friends? Am I going to remember how to do this school thing? Um, what's it going to be like? So then, you know, when you throw in some recent mass shootings, which just always makes school scarier. Yeah. I think it just ramps everything up for everyone. Plus, um, you know, having to wear a mask at school and worry about the coronavirus and the possibility of, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot. It's just, there are so many things right now. And so there's a lot of good things happening too. We don't want to be all doom and gloom, but it is really now more than ever important to be mindful about your child's mental health and yeah. what is happening with them. Yeah. yeah. I, so given all of the things that they have to worry about, um, I think it's really important to focus on all of the things they have to be excited about. Um, so, um, you know, getting to see people in person, um, you know, really focusing on the things that they can do, the, the things that we know make it safe for them to go to school. Um, the research that shows that, um, you know, the virus isn't really spreading in schools and that's been kind of borne out in Europe and then other districts around the country and, um, you know, how normal and healthy it is for them to get out of the house and have freedom and all of the choices that they'll have that they haven't had. Yes. Um, and, you know, how much we kind of trust them and know that they can handle that responsibility. Um, and also knowing that they might need some extra support from family. 
What are you, do you have very many kids who have social anxiety about returning back to school after being, you know, like we said, a year and a half is a long time in a child's life to be disconnected from their social circle? My experience has been, because I've been working with kids that, um, some kids who already are back in school part-time, um, and they, my experience is that they were absolutely terrified to go back. Um, and then once they went back, um, they're, they love it. Yeah. <laughs> they're so happy to be back. And, um, it's been, there's just been a huge improvement in a lot of their mental health symptoms because they're doing the things that kids really want to do and should be doing. And socializing is such a big part of development that, yeah, yeah it's really important. Um, and, you know, I, you know, kids, kids, families are not supposed to be locked in a building together for a year. <laughs> yes. Everyone's had a little too much of each other, more of, than that's healthy. A lot of togetherness. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think that parents and families should know that, um, for all the nervousness going back to school, um, to really try to focus on the positive and to know that, kids are doing really well as they get back to school. Yeah. And not to minimize concerns to, no. to have those conversations, but also to emphasize the good things that are going to come from this. Yeah. And just the places where kids have agency over the things they can control. Well, Kat, that is all really great information. I can't believe it, but we are out of time for today. So we will be back next Monday at 9am on KKNW to give you a little bit more in the world of therapy and positive mental health. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.